0: So right with us is Rachel in Ōtōtahi Tahi Kia ora, Rachel. Kia ora, Wallace. I'm tired of the city life. It has to be only one band, huh? Well, it's
1: a pretty well, yeah. I, I, as soon as I heard that line, I knew what song it was.
0: Yeah, I, sure. I, I was teasing a bit. I said, oh, that's a hard one. But it's just... I, I'm I'm always fascinated, Rachel, by how you can have a few words strung together. You know, I, I, I'm t- what six words, and you know it instantly. It's quite amazing, isn't it?
1: It really is, because I often think I listen to a lot of music, and often it's about actually the music to me. And sometimes yeah. I think I haven't even heard the lyrics, but yes. sometimes the <laughs> lyric just sticks.
2: Amazing song, isn't it, uh, yeah. Alan? Yeah, no, no, a, a classic late seventies Kiwi. Yeah. You know, it's it's just a banger. Yes, basically, you know, everyone gets up and dances to that. Yeah, that and rain and, yeah. You happen you haven't happened to have
0: seen them live
2: at all, Rachel?
1: Uh, no, no, but as Ellen said, definitely a banger, and I've definitely um, danced badly to <laughs> it. <time. laughs>
0: haven't we all, haven't we all. Rachel, thanks for that. Uh, Rachel guessed correctly, as many, many people did, except for the person who emailed us at Smoke on the Water uh, by Deep Purple. Uh, and uh, why I play that also, because Dragon is set to celebrate their 50th anniversary. Ooh. Yes, with a tour across Aotearoa next Year they'll kick off at the Invercargill Civic Theatre on April the 12th, 2024. A lot of feedback coming through today, including this one. Manu says, I'm interested to listen to your panel members' experience visiting her son in Melbourne. Our daughter moved to Perth and has a job paying twice as much as her New Zealand equivalent radiology job. She can afford a mortgage for a reasonable priced house, and she says the price of living is not a burden. As you say, we do need a public discussion. Uh, is your son. Uh, he has made Melbourne his home. Victoria yeah, yeah. yep.
3: That was pretty They just went back to London For a holiday And that really solidified it for them That they love their Melbourne life And so mm. they're there to stay Um mm. And the same sort of thing They're earning more Than they were earning in London Earning way more Than they were earning here in New Zealand When they were back
0: But you're not considering leaving for
2: Melbourne, are you?
3: Oh, well, Oh,
2: (laughs) Gee! (laughs) You heard it here first. I'm
3: interested in this next um, discussion we're going to have, not that I'm anything near 65. (laughs) No, that's
0: right. So, uh, yeah, we'll get to that because there's been a lot of people saying life is better in Australia, but have a listen to this next story. You'll be wanting to listen to this. Meanwhile, I've just got to get a, a couple more feedback but in as a restaurateur, I would much prefer. Hearing from any guest who is not happy, the situation can usually be rectified quite easily. Suffering in silence makes neither party happy. <laughs> that is the text of the afternoon. I think there's great feedback, and for me too. If I had that, if I had that dry date scone, mm-hmm. which I hate, Alan. Yes, indeed, you said. And I'll brood on it all evening. <laughs> it is much better for me to go out and kindly suggest. Could you actually make your scones a little bit more mm. moist? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's not the New Zealand way, though, is yeah. it? <laughs> no, uh, it is uh, four thirty-eight. The panel. Well, since mid twenty twenty-two, the number of Kiwis relocating to Australia has skyrocketed, as we have been talking about it today. During the first three months of. This year, 12,600 Kiwis moved to Australia with the intention of staying, which is a 42% increase on the three-months prime. For many, the appeal of higher wages and lower rents too tempting. But if you're over 65, you may want to rethink it. The rules for older workers in Australia are far different than here. And if you're concerned about your pension, you may just be better of staying put, Peter Martin is the economist editor in the conversation and visiting fellow at the Crawford School of Public Policy, Australian National University. Peter, welcome to the panel.
4: Good day, Willis.
0: Uh, I was actually stunned by this. I hadn't heard about this, uh, and what was interesting is that the rules for older workers in New Zealand are very different to those in Australia? Can you break it down for us?
4: Oh, look, I I think New Zealand is paradise. Oh, hang on, that's a fact. But uh, paradise (laughs) for this particular reason. (laughs) If if you're uh, you're of retirement age, if you're 65 or over, um, you're treated the same as people under 65. So um, if you work, you get taxed on that work, you don't lose any of your benefit, um, and you... um, uh, get taxed, you know no special concessions, no special treatment one way or the other. We've got a bizarre situation um, it, it's twofold um, if you're 65 or over, in Australia's case it's actually 67 now, we've increased the ah. uh, the age for the benefit mm-hmm. but um, if you're uh, at that age, you get a lot of tax concessions so you're unlikely to pay any tax except for the situation in which you work, when you work, uh, so, you know, say you go out and do uh, a few hours. You can do a few hours, by the way. The uh, government just increased the uh, amount you can earn per week to two hundred and twenty-seven dollars per hour. That's about three shifts at uh, a hardware store on uh, Saturday. Um, you know, it's not uh, not uh, it's not working two or three uh, yeah. days a week. Um, if you earn uh, more than that, you instantly pay tax. You normally escape uh, tax as uh, uh, someone uh, on a benefit at that age, and you lose half of what you earn as a cut to your pension so it, essentially that that works out given our tax rates nineteen uh, percent uh, the first tax rate after a tax free threshold which doesn 't apply in this situation um, plus uh, half it means you lose sixty nine percent more than two thirds of what you earn then well... it gets worse. <laughs>
0: That's amazing, Victoria. (laughs) Pensioners who go over the $227 a week limit lose half of every extra dollar they earn in a cut to their pension. That's Australia. And they pay tax. And they pay tax. We've got a panel here, Victoria.
3: Oh, It's just a bit mind-blowing actually Peter listening to you talking about that I thought in Australia and again I don't know much about the super system over there you you yep. as an employee contribute an amount to your super through your earning life um, Doesn't isn't that then isn't that protected in some way once you're over the yeah, age of 67?
4: Y- y- we've got a problem with language here um, which is uh, we use different words, we use the same word for different things in New Zealand so what we call superannuation, you call KiwiSaver.
0: Right, right. Uh,
4: what what we call VH pension, you call superannuation. Right. Go figure. But um, uh, our our version of uh, KiwiSaver works pretty much the same as the New Zealand one, except it's compulsory here. Uh, employers make a contribution and uh, workers make a contribution. That operates quite separate to the pension, which you call super. And the thing about the pension is um, uh, it's not universal. So it's denied to people with assets, you know, with a lot of money. You need quite a lot. Um, And it's denied to people over a certain income. And this is where our income test uh, comes in. You don't have those problems because uh, you give it to everyone or everyone, you know, who's been a resident for the right amount of time and is the right age, By right, can't be with no
3: means testing here. Yeah, that makes sense then.
2: Ellen, Mm. yeah, I was talking to a mate of mine in Oz about this. He's a retired academic, and. Again, from the whole superannuation side of things, um, he's and his wife, they're both academics, so they've managed essentially to self-fund their retirement free of any sort of government oh, By the way,
0: people are saying that you do, if you work full-time post-65, you do pay secondary tax on the superannuation.
2: Hmm. Yeah, and um, so, you know, I think that, that sounds pretty amazing that uh, you can be entirely self-funded but then again I think the uh, contribution rate was something like 13.5% which is then matched by the employer so that's going to um, add up to quite a bit I guess and um, I mean Victoria you mentioned means testing um, you know I think the the pension costs this country a hell of a lot of money and i um, my feeling is that, in the years down the track, when Kiwi becomes more of a thing and and people start sort of cashing in their kiwi saver and, and 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 living off it in their pensions, then possibly the government might look at means testing um the pension and and it not being universal anymore if they 're looking to save money along yeah. the line somewhere uh,
4: final thought, peter yeah, yeah yeah this is what is um they said would happen in Australia with our version of Kiwi Saver. They said that people would move off the pension. Mm. Uh, we still have 75% on the pension. We yeah, to yeah. have 80 uh, And they haven't really. But look, can I just point out the difference this makes? In New Zealand, for people over 65, 26%, a quarter of them are mm. working. Yep. You know, not working full-time, mm. but working. Yep. Here, it's just 15%. Mm-hmm. If we achieve uh. New Zealand rate of working, we would have an extra, given our population, an extra half a million. Australians in work Uh, and there's something it's sort of what we have here we have a lot of people use the cash economy, uh, you know, they're able to work they keep working, and they uh, just get paid in cash. Well, there you go. Perhaps some good news
0: <laughs> for us uh, at last. That's Peter Martin, uh, Visiting Fellow at the Crawford School of Public Policy at ANU. Kia ora, Peter. Thank you. Uh, to this, um, now uh, we have Alan Blackman and uh, Victoria McLennan on the show. Um, Victoria's in Wellington. Last week we asked what price do you put on a built heritage? Wellington Town Horse strengthening project, Huge budget blowout with a new potential cost of $329 million. The initial cost when it started, $43 million. Yep. The town hall isn't the only building to face this issue, of course. The Michael Fowler Centre, uh, it could even be demolished. Last week we had Dr Eric Crampton. He said the cost was too great. The backdrop is also a cash-strapped city council. Well, with us today... As Roger Walker, a renowned architect, he's behind that rather arresting Park Muse, 1973 multi-unit development with those round windows. You'll see it when you drive in from the airport in Wellington. Great uh, piece of architecture there. Roger, good to have you here.
5: Thank you. Thank this, you,
0: Wallace. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on, Roger. So this is your city. You built some great buildings there that one day may themselves be listed What's your side? Where do you sit on this issue?
5: Well, Wallace, I think that uh, there's been a massive overreaction by the authorities to the prospect of an earthquake. Officially, if you look on Wikipedia, we've got a 1 in 10 chance of having a 7.5 magnitude quake in the next 100 years. And, um, you know, like the risk... I made a note here that in Australia in 2089... Uh, in Newcastle, there was a 5.6 magnitude earthquake that killed and injured several people, uh, lots of people, and there was not a single change made to the building code standard by the Australians. Now, uh, I don't know what that tells us about their personality, but on this side of the Tasman, we had a, a fairly draconian standards for earthquake strengthening uh, that the Michael Fowler Centre complied with, that the library... Complied with, and many other Wellington buildings. But then there was this Christchurch earthquake, and instead of us saying, "Oh, well, we do get earthquakes; that was another one," and not regarding it as a, a as a one-off event like the Australians would, we decided to upgrade the codes massively. Even though the majority of the people killed in Christchurch were killed in a single building. So I, just, I think we have really badly overreacted. Okay, overreach. Uh,
0: Roger, we've got a panel with us. Well, Victoria, you live uh, in uh, the capital. What's your uh, view on what Roger's saying? Overreach or actually we need these rules?
3: Well, it's a really interesting challenge and dichotomy, isn't it? Protecting life and the fact that we do have earthquakes here in New Zealand in a way that, that others don't then there's also this thing about the fabric of the city and how it looks and feels. And if we pull down all these buildings and replace them, how will the city look and feel? And personally, I love the Michael Fowler Centre. Um, I mm. recently became a friend of NZSO and go to see the NZSO whenever I can. And I just love being in that building. I love would, that building. Yeah, it would horrify me if it had to be pulled down.
0: Yes, what do yeah. you think Roger do you feel the same about the Michael Fowler? Oh, I
5: do. Well, look I, I'm as an architect I'm exposed to this sort of uh, argument all the time. We had an engineer working in the hut who was d- doing a project for us and he said, "Look, I'm coming into town to uh uh to and we could talk about." it. And I said, "Yes, well, that's good. We we we're, we're just round the corner from Cuba Street and we'll Go and have a nice lunch. And he said, mate, I'm a structural engineer. I'm not going anywhere near Cuba Street. (laughs) (laughs) And I said to him, well, you do realise that you're a lot less, you're a lot more likely to die in your car driving to Cuba Street than you are in Cuba Street. And statistically, uh, between the 80-year period between the 1931 Napier earthquake and the Christchurch 2011 events, there were fewer than 500 deaths related to the earthquake. And I'm not making light of those deaths, but the fact is that during that 80-year period, there were over 30,000 road fatalities. So I would say that you're more likely to die Mm -hmm. driving to the Michael Fowler Centre than you are enjoying a show there.
2: Okay, interesting. <clears throat> uh, no, no, interesting argument there, Alan. Yeah, um, I've never actually been to the Michael Fowler Centre. That's terrible. But um, but from what you were saying, Roger, you mentioned that the Fowler, the Michael Fowler Centre, is actually up to code, or was until the Christchurch earthquake. Yes, is that correct? Well, it
5: was similar to the library. It was it was up to the pre Christchurch earthquake
2: code. Right. So but, so, so it was
5: upgraded yeah. following Christchurch. All right, so let me all get, let
0: problems. me let me get this straight, Roger. So you're saying the overall arching part of your argument is that. Some of these buildings could be saved if you just lowered
2: the code a bit. Yes, or didn't increase it. By or the didn't, sound it didn't increase yeah, it. Yeah.
5: Yes, that's what I'm saying, Wallace. I mean, we've got to be realistic. we recently the Two Mass Building in Guzney Street, which had had some shipping containers in front, of it, as we know, to stop uh, people being injured if it fell over. But at the end of the day, it's, it wasn't an earthquake that demolished it. It was a, it was an arsonist. So, you know, you've just. If people empty out heritage buildings, they're gonna, somebody's going to set fire to them. I don't know whether it's the guys that are getting bored with ram raiding that decide that setting fire to buildings all is All right, no, we,
0: let, let's not extrapolate yeah. on all that, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, someone, some people would say what you're saying here is actually an extraordinary thing to say. In a country where we've had some shocking deaths, the parapets, for example, in Christchurch, you know, they, they kill people too. Yes. Deadly, deadly earthquakes, Roger. As an architect, isn't it better to be safe than to be sorry? Because you never know when a massive one will hit your fair city.
5: Yes, well, that's that's true, Willis. But I think we've got to do a risk assessment of that. And and it's, as we've seen from the blowout of the town hall, you know, how much money do you spend avoiding an earthquake that might happen tomorrow? Like, it's... You've, you've got to look at the cost. Everybody has a budget for their for their cost of living, and you know people don't have caviar every night for dinner. It's it's sort of it's balancing the risk against the. Um, you know, yeah. the probability. Well, I yeah. but
2: so
3: councils, that's my position. I, I, yeah, Victoria. But councils have a responsibility to their citizens as well, so I can understand where the council's coming from with this, that they're, that they're wanting to, to Keep people minimise, safe. Yeah, minimise loss of life. So Roger. Well, well I, I
5: think that's... I understand that. I understand that completely. But all I'm talking about is how the building codes get altered. Mm. Now, if, if the building code had not been upgraded following the 2011 Christchurch events, then there'd be no argument about the Michael Fowler Centre or the library because they complied with that previous code. My point is that uh, the code has been increased and upgraded for really dubious reasons. Alright, Roger. Hey, nice yeah.
0: to have you on the programme. Really appreciate your time. That's Roger Walker there, a uh, renowned architect from uh, Wellington there. And uh, it's not only about the code, Ellie Unreinforced masonry is the killer. That is why Cuba Street is such a worry. And mm. that is really what happened in Christchurch as well. Those uh, those uh, the unreinforced masonry was a real uh, issue. In fact, it killed people, didn't it? Uh, finally, uh, on the panel with Alan Blackman and Victoria McLennan, have you ever booked a hairdresser only? to cancel last minute as we all know plans do change but spare a thought for the small businesses at the other end it could cost them our next guest has had over a thousand dollars of services cancelled just after the long weekend so they decided to hit back this has also been an issue with restaurant bookings as well with us is salon owner of Head Start Total Body Simone Jones welcome to the show Simone
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It's and this was this was your salon, wasn't it? Did you just get a couple of answer phone messages?
1: Yes. I mean, yeah, we had it in our salon too, but as um co chair of Here in Barber, New Zealand, we're actually finding that this is becoming more and more of an issue for our for our members. Um, we had our personally we had uh, you know a couple of smoothing treatments and a couple of colours cancel. And over our over our team, that did add up to over
0: a thousand dollars. Yeah. Oh, so for a small business, these couple of cancellations that that can mean quite a whack for the for the staff member and indeed for the business over the course of a week.
1: Yes, of course. Yeah, you know the usual um, cost of businesses is rising, like any or, any other small business. But salons at the moment are having um, fewer stylists, so absorbing those bigger missed appointments is certainly getting harder to
0: take. It's it's I, I can that's really fair enough, isn't it, Victoria? You know, if you cancel, um, there might be have to have some sort of inbuilt fee there, Victoria.
3: I think a cancellation policy is really important for small businesses who are dependent on people not cancelling. I recently. Um booked a group of eight people to go to the Syrian restaurant Damascus on Torrey Street, and they took a $50 deposit, and I thought that's completely fair. We're going to spend probably hundreds of dollars there, and they had a cancellation um, policy wrapped around that. We could cancel up to a week before kind of thing. So I think you know, our, yeah, yeah. our culture and our business practices are going to need to mature and change to enable that to happen. Simone? Yeah of course. What we're finding is that with um, a lot of
1: salons now taking online bookings they have got um, that ability to be able to take a deposit through the online booking system so that's definitely helping and of course hair salons aren't going to charge you if there's illness or sickness or something drastic has sort of happened. It's more for those that just Continually don't show up at the last Gosh. minute, or you know, no shows. And we, you know, it is going to be for deposit for those types of clients. It's not for our clients that we've done for lots of years and we know them very well, or of course, even through sickness, but it is for those that are ringing around salons that might be booking an appointment in each salon. They find the salon that can do it the fastest for them and then they forget to they forget to cancel uh, the other appointments so that, that they've happens already to, made.
2: Yeah. yeah. Alan. Yeah, um, I guess the example used, Victoria, of of restaurants, um, you know, that's going to be an awful uh, big loss to the restaurateurs if you know people book at the uh or people just cancel their booking at the last minute and um yeah I agree I think I think our culture has to change and um we need to be able to um charge up front you know a certain percentage or whatever I mean it's just like um hotel bookings for example or or you know airline bookings or or things like that you know you're certainly are paying in advance for those sorts of things and um I don't see that small business should be any different. Speaking as somebody who's never had to make an appointment for a haircut in my life, um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it'll apply to me. But um, you know, I, I think it's only fair, and I'm sure this is a, a small minority of people who do this. And of course, being the case, they ruin it for the rest of us, and you know, have to implement these new things because of that. So, and that's yeah. what you're
0: going to be doing, someone. You're going to be doing a cancellation fee, or as someone says here on by text, fifty percent upfront.
1: Yeah, possibly. I mean, for all our, um, as I said, our members have been saying that the fifty percent up rents does seem to be the norm. Um, and of course, it's really for like the bigger appointments, the you know the three and four hundred dollar color or smoothing oh, services. got it. If, yeah. yeah. If somebody misses their um, their, hair, their haircut appointment, that's not quite as not quite as hard on a small business. But it's not also about the money. It's also about you know, particularly at this time of the year. The same with restaurants. You know, if you Cancel your booking now. When are we going to fit you in again? And why, you know, we can't fit somebody else in that time that would be mm, desperate mm. to look good and feel good or like to a mm. restaurant, you know, they might want to book in their work too and they can't get that in either.
0: Well, very good to have you on the programme, Simon, and all the very best for, uh, for this uh, season. That's Simone Jones there, salon owner, uh, talking about the problem of cancellations. Uh, Wallace says, someone, your dry scone is stale. A fresh scone is always moist and light. A basic scone is made from flour, not much butter and milk, so it needs to be daily as there is not, not enough fat to keep it moist longer. Good grief. You're on the panel, the National. Kia ora both, Alan and Victoria. I'm back tomorrow.